you know this church uh, in Rome is made up of Jew and Gentile. And uh, what at the early part of this, this text, when we're looking at it uh, in, in Romans, uh, in that letter, it says that uh, he is not ashamed of the gospel for its power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so there is this kind of understanding that the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Now, we've said that for the most part, the Jewish community has rejected Christ. And you have to think in the context, like what if the Jewish community was persecuting you and working with Rome at different times to bring persecution on you? And then Paul says, like, go and share the gospel with your persecutors. You know, I mean, that's kind of like go after them with great zeal, you know. And, and, and then there, so there was all this trouble that was caused in the early church as a result of that. And so, you know, there may have been some struggle going on there. There'd be negative feelings about uh, the Jewish people and, and there would be struggles in that regard. Um, so as you're looking at this today, you kind of have to keep that in mind. Um, now, the other thing is, too, there may have been some that would be looking at this situation and said, how is God really, um, is God faithful to his promises? Like, why he didn't, it seems like with me, sometimes I, you know, when you're looking at it, if you were looking at it, you say, well, did God, like, fulfill his promises to them? If he didn't fulfill his promises to them, will he fulfill them to us? So there's all this stuff going on in the early church between the Jew and the Gentile, a lot of struggles that are taking place, and, and you understand. And so Paul twice has said, in Romans 11, uh, that God's promises have not failed to Israel. They have not. And he says, I'll give you an example, myself. God's promises have not failed to Israel because I'm a Jew and a Christian. And a bunch of Jewish people uh, did trust in the Lord, even though the majority of them did not. And so he's already said, look, I want to make this clear. I've got good examples here. But he's going to keep going and go further And today he's going to develop a a different part of the argument. And he's going to say, listen, there is a hardening, a temporary hardening with the Jewish people so that I can let these Gentiles in. And you may say this morning, wait, am I a Gentile? And yes, you are. You know, and that God's doing something. You get to be a part of that. And so you have been blessed to be a part of it. You say, I feel so removed. It was 2,000 years ago. I don't even know what that's all about. It doesn't matter whether you feel removed or not. There's this great blessing that you get to hear about and say, hey, we got to enter into these promises, even though we might have felt like, you know, we would never be in them. And it does appear like you look at it and you say, hey, why did God let us all in? Why are you here? Why did you get that? It's a great blessing on display here that you are able to be a part of it. So God has hardened Israel to show mercy to you. That's what you could say. That's a gracious thing. You're thankful for that. Should be. Uh, should your response be arrogance? No. I mean, that you should be humbled. So, like, you should be one of the most humble people on the planet because you understand the grace that God has shown you. And then the third thing we're kind of look at is, like, there's a hope for Israel, and God shows us that this morning. So I, I want you to see the hardening that shows us mercy. I want you to see how it should humble us, and then I want you to see... Uh, the hope that God gives us for Israel. So let's go to verse 11. So I ask you, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So God's purpose in the stumbling of Israel 
was not so that they might fall and be crushed forever. Is kind of what you could see. God is using their sin. What is the what is the transgression? Their sin of unbelief to bring about the salvation of the Gentiles. So this reveals two things. One, the benefit to the Gentile world, right? The other is the benefit to the Jew. We see both of those. So that like there is like you trusting in Christ, you believing in him, you joining in the promises of God, you putting your faith in him. Those there's multiple benefits here. God's plan is gracious, he's showing mercy and we see that. Now, uh, the benefit to the Gentile world is that we've trusted in Christ and through Abraham's seed, Christ, him offering his life, you and I get to join into that by faith and trust in him and all the benefits that God made, those for all those promises that were made to Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We're seeing that. You and I get to see that because we are trusting in Christ. What's the benefit for the Jew? Uh it makes them jealous. It, it, it has some, you say, well, that sounds like, man, how's that? Well, it just, in a way, um, when you think about, and I, this, may, this is a little bit not tied completely to the context, but you just think about the older brother and the younger brother in the prodigal son story. And when the older brother is sitting outside while the younger brother goes in and he's throwing, they're all throwing a party, for him to sit outside and be left out because he's a jerky person, like, mm, you know, just angry. Like, what are you doing? Like, letting, what is God showing grace to them for? But in the midst of that, it's, there's a frustrating kind of, of them to say, like, these people are entering into the promises. Like, the gospel. Like, is alive to them and so that they are entering in they're trusting in this messiah all these promises that that come with that they seem to be on display and so there's something of a frustrating of the jewish people to try to to to, to urge them i guess you would say to come to the lord now i think about um the life of joseph you remember god gives him a dream he goes up to his brothers and said hey uh Boys, uh, y'all going to be bowing down to me. You know, they don't like him anyway. They throw him into the pit. And uh, then they, they uh, drag him back out and sell him into slavery. And they should be done with him forever. And so he goes over into Egypt. They don't know what's going on. But they later, when there's a famine, they hear about uh, the salvation, if you will, that's coming in Egypt. And they go over there. And uh, there was something of that, I think, in this picture. They're kind of like, this one that they crucified is now kind of exalted and hopefully, you know, the picture here is in, in hopes that they would, even in their grumbling, that, that they would, their hearts would be ignited at some level. So just to stick out to you in your mind, just say, God uses the severest of punishments for the purpose of his grace. That's one of the things you could just say. I mean, like, God... Even in their rebellion, even in this darkness, God uses those things for his grace to display his glory. I uh, was talking to someone earlier, like the, the things when I look, you know, have you ever met someone who's always seemed to have it easy in life? They worry about the craziest stuff. You ever notice that? You're like, have you ever had a real problem? 
like a real one, seriously, you know, like, come on. But sometimes it's like you, if, if somebody can always fix their problems, the smallest things they sit over there like concerned about. And I think you kind of, when you're looking at this, difficulty makes the Lord shine. It's just the way it, it is. And so I think you'll see that throughout the Bible. You will see how he works in that. Um, so let's keep moving in verses 12. And I want you to look at verse 12 and verse 15 and 16 and just see something with me. The salvation of the Jews is designed as a blessing for the Gentiles. I think that's what you see. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Verse 15 and 16, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul says, so if their sin of unbelief means riches for the world, how much will that mean for him bringing them in later? You, you, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's almost like you think it's glorious now seeing God do his work. Again, how much greater will be the work that he does yet future is kind of the idea here. Um, if it was a great blessing when Israel rejected Christ, how much more of a blessing would it be when they accept him, it's kind of the concept, the way, the way you would see that. Um, that one of those things could, you could say is God's work of grace, God's work of grace in the present and future will be greater than his work in the past in that sense. So we, you, know, you could say you've been living in this time of general rejection. How much greater will the future be uh, with when God does this great work among Israel. And I don't fully know all that's taking place in that or how to understand all that fully, but I think it's just important. And sometimes, you know, when I think about my own life, or, or, you know, I'll look past or back to a certain time period, or maybe when I think about um, uh, our history as Americans, like, I look back to the first great awakening and think, good night, like, why aren't we living in that? Or will we ever see anything like that? And I think it's just important for us to be reminded that there are great days ahead with the people of God, and He is going to do mighty things. It's almost like the older you get, have you ever gotten a little amnesia, like the older you get, you kind of forget? It's selective. You, you kind of forget things. When you look back, they're much more beautiful than they really were, maybe, in the time. But it's always easier to look back and go, wow, that was so great. And the reality is, is even with us, sometimes we can look back and say, man, look at how amazing America was uh, or the church was in this time in America or look back at certain times and think, man, that would just be unbelievable. But it's almost like Paul's saying, listen, you've not seen anything yet. You keep moving here. Um, so we kind of ask, what should our attitude be? Look at verse 13 and 14. Now, speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in, the, in, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul wants them to know when he goes out to do the work of reaching Gentiles, he has the Jews in the back of his mind. 
He's longing to see them come. He wants them to kind of get a glimpse of what the kingdom is like and to be accepted into it. And so he knows even in the face of Jewish persecution, which he faced all the time, it was all the time for him. Even in the face of that kind of of difficulty, God is, um, he knows that like his heart is to see them come to faith. And so as he evangelizes the lost Gentiles, he's longing to see uh, the Jewish people come to faith. And we should too. We should think, man, when you see the pagan world kind of in rebellion, when you see them uh, coming to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, shouldn't that drive them towards um, faith? Okay, so we say, okay, first of all, when you're looking at all this, um, I, th- I think it's just important we, we say, okay, this hardening God uses to show mercy. And then you look on and further and you see there's kind of a warning against arrogance here. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So it's almost like, don't look at yourself. I mean, sometimes even the church, like you ever been around and you think, look, the church is not, I mean, sometimes we could have this concept like the church is greater than it is. It, it is a, it, it is a, it has, I mean, the church only should reflect back and say the, that God is great. It's not always looking at itself and saying, oh, look how wonderful we are as if we're deifying the church. God is the one that we praise. There should be no arrogance tied to us or what we've done. The proper view of grace brings humility. That's just the reality. He's saying basically, listen, don't be arrogant. You are just grafted in. I mean, you, you, don't have, you don't have the heritage. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. Not this kind of heritage. The promises weren't given to you. You got to be a part of it. Basically, Paul's saying you're benefiting from something you shouldn't have had the opportunity to participate in. So it like wipes the slate of pride and self-exaltation and all those things. It just dumps that. It puts that away. For a number of years, we've had a little Jesse tree that we would use during the Advent season. And it really, it's basically, it looks like a a little stump with a a branch coming forth from it. And uh, it kind of tells the story of God's plan for His people throughout the ages. But it's just, it is a reminder. It takes you back and it allows you to see the promise given to Abraham, the promises given to David. And you get to see that this story is not just about the church, but it's God's people throughout. And God's working out His plan, and and there is a root back there, you know, that I'm tied to. Um, In that day, the common practice would be to take um, maybe the root system of a tree that was healthier, kind of in a wild state maybe, that kind of, and take a branch from a tree that had been producing fruit and, 
engrafted in. That would be the normal practice. This is kind of backwards. Uh, generally, they would do that. And then, so this is kind of like saying, look, this is uh, contrary to nature. This is supernatural. This is something that is not the normal way. And God did these extraordinary things. If he could do this with this fruit or make fruit out of that, I mean, really, like, how could, how could he not do the same with Israel if he can do that? So I think it's important um, just to say to the Gentiles, say, look, keep going back to your roots. Really see it for what it is. See your roots. Um, remember that you're grafted in unnaturally. It's sheer grace. Um, and be humbled by that. You inherited something that wasn't promised to you. That, that's the beautiful thing here. Um, so I think it's just important that we see that. And, and one other thing just to think about in the church, we understand that the people of God, Old Covenant and New Covenant, although those are distinct, there is this unity here. Um, that, that we are getting to be a part of. Like, it's a beautiful thing to see. Now, verses 19 through 21. This grace that comes produces faith. Then you will say, branches were broken, broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not be proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So he's almost saying like, um, listen, Gentiles, you think that maybe you could be a little bit arrogant. You think, oh, we've accepted you. Oh, we've seen him. Oh, we love him. And, And you could get really arrogant. And really, as the generations pile up, like you could say, well, in my family, granddaddy was a christian and this this person was a christian this person and i have generations of christians in my life or whatever and and you might kind of begin to kind of be arrogant about that and he's saying listen you better wake up if god could prune back his own people that he'd given these promises to what makes you think that he will not do the same with you have you ever met somebody that loves their religion more than Jesus? I mean, is that very common? They might go to church every Sunday and can recite some verses, but they don't love Christ. And when you get around them, their thoughts about Christianity are not tied to Jesus Christ. They don't have much thought about that. They're not talking about him. They're not boasting in him. They don't treasure him. They really love their religion. They do not love Jesus. Their concerns are not centered on Christ, but selfishly motivated. He's saying Gentile Christians don't look over there pointing the finger. Instead, look in the mirror. Do you truly trust Christ? True grace produces faith. Just keep reminding yourself of those things. Keep be fearful in that like you are not just like in this place of, of total safety in that, oh, well, just because you grew up in the church all is well. Be, be aware and be, be focused on the right things. 
Okay, verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too would be cut off. A right view of God is kind of here. Like to understand him in his fullness, there is a level of, there should be a sobriety when you think about God. He is both severe and kind. That's one of the things you see. And I think that's where the tension is. And some people would be like, severe, severe, severe. I love the severity of God as long as it has nothing to do with me, right? I want him to be severe with everybody, you know. Uh, And so he's like, okay. And then there's this kindness. Oh, he's just so kind. Well, the reality is, is you have to look at God in his fullness. Because if you do, like, say, oh, he's so kind. It's almost like I can, like, pull him out when I want him out. And put him back in when I want him put back in, you know. The fullness of God is to see him, a right view of him. Which kind of reminds me of something I've heard Keller state over and over. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's seeing the holiness of God. Right? You see him. You understand who he is. You're like Isaiah. And you say, woe is me. Then, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That, that's the other thing. You're teaching both of those things. If you major on one and not the other, you have like this kind of twisted view. Again, if you major over here and not on the other, you, it, it warps the way you view Him. God's justice and mercy rightly seen at the cross show us that He is just and punishes sin, shows us He is merciful and justifying us. And we have to kind of keep that in our minds at all times. God is not a sterile grandfather, distant from our injustice and indifferent towards our sin. But a God who loved us enough to become involved in our condition and to shed the blood of his own son so that we could taste of the lavishness of his mercy. That's the picture I think we see. Now, the last kind of section here, as we've kind of looked at this, and I think it's just important that we kind of go back and think about it. One is, God has hardened Israel to show mercy. This should not, two, this should not produce pride. There should be no spiritual pride in this room, right? And, and then three, there is hope for Israel. Verse 23, and even they, if they do, do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature, a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? What's Paul saying? The people who have rejected Christ, if they will turn to him, the door is open. Like, I mean... Generally speaking, the Jews are in a state of rebellion, right? But there are people, Jewish people, that are trusting in the Lord, as we mentioned even today. I, I spent time with a Jewish man not too long ago, very evangelistic, living in Jerusalem, 
proclaiming the gospel. And he is seeing some fruit. It's not like a speedy thing. <clears throat> it's not something he sees every day. It's just that he is seeing some fruit from the work that he is doing. If they will trust in Jesus, they will be brought back in. As the Gentiles, that's a shocking thing, were brought in in a most unnatural way, it's more natural for them to be brought back in, is what Paul is saying. Then he says, and I just think it's important that you note this, he's going to talk even further about some kind of future for, um, for Israel, and we'll talk about that more next week. But I think it's just important that you say, and I've thought about this a lot. Anna's grandmother passed away this past week. A hundred years old. <clears throat> had walked with the Lord most of her adult life. And so, and been so prayerful in the longing to see people in her family come to faith. And there were people very dear to her that it did not had not. Um, but this past week, her witness, even on her deathbed, was so powerful that uh, some of her unbelieving family uh, was reading the psalms over her. They were singing the hymns of their childhood over her, right? And it was almost like all of the, but they really, it was the only thing that would kind of soothe her. And so they would, they were over there reading these things that they had not yet understood. They, had not, they did not treasure in the way that we would say as a Christian you would treasure. And they are singing and praising the Lord in a, in a very, I mean, it's just kind of a strange way where they're lifting up his name before a dying saint because they knew uh, that that would be the thing that she would want coming over her, rushing over her. And I, I think about that sometimes when I think about um, just the situation. Sometimes we are with family and friends. When you beg for God to work in their hearts, you want to see Him do it. And, and, and you pray for that. And you say, Lord, graft them in. Bring them in. Let them participate in these things. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that we should long for. And we should know that God brings the rebellious and the religious in. He's doing that. And it's, it's a glorious thing to see. And so as we conclude today, I, I think it's just important for us to say, okay, we know that he's hardened in order to show his mercy. Sometimes in God's greatest judgment upon a people, it, it's the means that he's going to use to display some of his greatest merciful things that he's ever done. To see the Gentile world come to faith, to see the gospel having spread across the world, that is a marvelous thing. And to know that God is still doing a work amongst his people that we don't fully understand is also glorious. We as his people today should be humble. That's one of the things just kind of hit us. We should be humble we should be a people like saying, Lord, I just can't believe the grace you have shown me. It is, it's miraculous. It is shocking that we are sitting here today before Christ's coming. People would have thought, never, never this bunch being a part of the people of God, you know. 
And it, it is amazing to see how God has done that. And then the last thing I would say <clears throat> to you is that we as Christians, regardless of what people say, like, well, they don't want to hear the gospel from you or this, that, you know, we have a responsibility both to spread the gospel to the nations and to pray again for the people of Israel. I, I think to pray that God would do a work in them, that they would long for Christ, that they would turn to him, that God in his sovereignty would take those blinders off and open blind eyes so that they see, receive, trust in him and follow Christ. And so hopefully today um, you've gotten a lesson not only with about the Jewish people, but also about your own life and where you want to be and you'll be driven in that direction. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would... Um, Keep us mindful of the mercy that you've shown us. We know, Lord, that that should not make us proud, but humble. And Lord, we just pray that as we go throughout this life and as we go out into the world and as we meet Jewish people, uh, that you um, allow us to, to, to invest in them. I pray that you would help us um, in that regard too. And we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.